The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And what I say, the American people will believe. You know why? Because I'll have a very big microphone in front of me. That's a shark steak sandwich. Fucking shark steak. Mm. You want half? If I were a man, nobody would care how many sexual partners I had when I was in college. And if it's not relevant for a man, it's not relevant for a woman. I understand, and you know what? It's really just nobody's business. What is our fucking business? Principles only mean something if you stick by them when they're inconvenient. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I'm Aislinn Addington. And I'm Tobin Addington. And oh boy, do we have a fun guest for you today. I mean, this is really, this is episode, basically episode 53 or whatever, uh, a couple of years in, and we are, um, we're returning to our roots in some way. Uh, we have with us today, none other than the writer and director of The Contender, our namesake movie that we named Yay. the show after, Rod Lurie. Welcome, Rod. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Now, I, I need to ask you guys, how did your brother and sister team, how did you come to even come up with this idea? Especially you, Tobin. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, well, we've been, we had been wanting to, we have a lot of fun together. Yeah. We, we, we get along really well and we, we've been wanting to do some kind of, I've been doing some podcasting for some other projects and we've been trying to come up with an idea to do together. And so we kind of figured out a way to marry my sort of my work in film with Island's work um, in gender and justice. In, in gender and injustice and, 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 and sort of found a way to sort of put those two things together. Um, uh, that's my memory. But Island, do you have a, a <laughs> am I missing something? Um, no, only that we had a brief minute where we thought because uh, we enjoy joking around, being lighthearted with one another, we talked about doing bad movies but then realized yeah. how kind of painful that would be. And, and I enjoy other podcasts about bad movies. And so I was like, let's leave that to the folks that well, are good at it. You'd be hard to get guests for that. Why not celebrate um, steps forward and, and have conversations that will be meaningful to um, the two of us and hopefully meaningful to our guests and listeners. So that's, that's great. That's great. And I think leading up to when we'd started it, I had a couple experiences um, uh, out pitching uh, scripts and, and movies where I was told a number of times that having a female protagonist was a strike against the project. Um, yeah. And so that that really, I think, uh, and that was going on in my head as we were sort of coming together on this idea. But I will say that it, it we we sort of entertain no other title. Yeah. for the show once we figured out what the show was going to be oh, because you. your movie the contender really it, it it meant so much to us at a, at a sort of really kind of key time i would say absolutely right. well and and i don't want to um well i do want to spend the whole time geeking out but um huh. before we started recording uh, uh you mentioned it's almost exactly kind of 20 years and yeah. uh it was 
on the road trip where Tobin had graduated from college and I was going to drive home with him Mm -hmm. that we went to the contender in the theater. I believe he had seen it already and was, Oh my gosh, you have to see this. You have to see this with me. So we, we went um, in Salem, Oregon to the movie theater. And then we talked about it all the way home. And so theater in Salem, do you remember? I don't. Was it the independent theater uh, that was there? Yeah, that's yeah, a really yeah. nice theater. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's been 20 years since the film came out. I can't believe it either. And uh, it's a movie that um, that changed my life. Um, and it, it's, it's a movie that I didn't make that movie because I'm a feminist, but that movie helped make me a feminist. If, if that mm. makes any sense whatsoever, yeah. because I, I just thought I was making a great story, you know, initially. Um, I had, can I tell you a quick story how the movie came about? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I am a film critic at the time. I was the critic for Los Angeles Magazine and for KABC Radio. And I am the guy who's going to present Joan Allen with her Best Supporting Actress Award for Pleasantville. And so I get up and I do this improv. And what I say is, you know, I should write a movie for Joan Allen because if she does that movie, it's going to be a good movie. And when I sat down at the table afterwards, she said, well, why don't you write it? And her agent, her agent says to me, yeah, write it. We'll read it. You know, absolutely. So. I say, great. And I, and I go home that this is a, I, I swear guys, this is a Friday night. And I go and my little girl is there, Paige. She's six years old at the time. And George Bush had just announced that he was going to run for president. And Paige says to me, daddy, why don't women ever run for president? And I say, oh, I, I don't really know, sweetie. They should. She goes, maybe uh, grandma can run. And, and I said, well, grandma is <laughs> some real estate in Greenwich, Connecticut and doing great. She said, what about mommy? She said, what about mommy? And I said, well, um, mommy is too young. And then mm. she said, well, then I am going to be the first woman president. And oh. that is when I went down to my computer, I turned the computer on, I had no idea what the story was. I knew it had to deal with women in politics. And I came up with the most male title I could, which was a contender, in order to make it um, yeah, sort of flip the whole genre on its, on its head a little bit or of, of feminism. And at that time, you know, a lot of people think that this movie was a reaction to the Lewinsky scandal. Um, mm. When in fact, it, I was much, much more inspired by Clarence Thomas and Nita Hill and, and all and all that business back there. Mm. And, I, and I realized that um, the sexualization of women is a much um, is a much more effective tool at uh, denigrating people than sexualizing men. You know, men, you know, if, yeah. if you take yeah. a situation in that mm. film where. She uh, allegedly was part of a, a sex orgy where she had sex with several men. And you say, OK, now let's turn around. It's a man who had uh, sex with several women. We'd be high fiving that guy, especially right, back right, then. Right. Right? right. Now, I think things are a little bit different. Maybe we, we, we can get into how it's not. A, uh, and we see a lot of that with the Kamala Harris um, nomination. But um, I, I just began writing. You know, I, I, mm -hmm. to a certain degree, I didn't even know 
you know, what I was writing. And mm -hmm. I just began with a scene of a thing, a car going over a bridge. And, you know, I, I didn't know where I was going to take it, but it, it, the, the story just sort of unfolded as I was, as I was writing it. And I basically didn't leave the computer for 48 hours. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And I wrote, I wrote that movie over a weekend. Now, oh, God. now listen to this guys. So I send it to Joan Allen and a week later I get a phone call. And I pick up the phone and, uh, and a woman in an Irish accent says, I love it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I said, that's great. Who is this? <laughs> yeah. and, and, it, and it was Joan Allen. She was in Ireland. She was going to do a movie called Veronica Garen. She was going to play. Uh, she was in character. And, uh -huh. and then we discovered something, which is, and this, this goes exactly to what you were talking about before which is that nobody was going to make a movie with uh, Joan Allen in the lead. You know, there were far fewer women who could get a movie greenlit than, sure. than, than Joan. So what most of the studios we took it to told us was that they do with Sharon Stone, Rochelle Pfeiffer, or maybe Jodie Foster. Hmm. And, uh, uh, um, uh. right. And I yeah. said, I really want Joan to do it. I wrote it for her. And, I, I took a flyer that I would somehow be able to get it to get it made, but it took the casting of two men to get the movie greenlit. If okay. We're being, if we're if we're being honest, and that's just the mm -hmm. way that that Hollywood worked at uh, worked at the time. I think it's a little different now, but that's how it worked. We, we got Jeff in, and then we got Gary in. And okay, that was going to be my next question: was was which two? Um. <laughs> Because there are several, you know, prominent. Well, those are, well, those are the two guys that, like, as you know, God admit, was there in the film. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Now, so um, do you guys know, uh, well, uh, I, I, I went to Paul Newman to play the president. Oh, um, wow. To me, huh. Right. To me, he was the greatest huh. actor of all time. Absolutely. And, and he just wouldn't even read a screenplay. He said, I'm retired, not acting, and end of story. And my my partner comes to me, my producing partner, and said, you know, Jeff Bridges' lawyer read this, and he gave it to Jeff, and Jeff would like to meet with you. Now, at the time, Jeff was – he was basically Spicoli from Fast Times Richmond High. He, 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 you know what he is? He's the dude from the Big Lebowski. I was going to say, right, yep. Yeah, right. that's, that, that's what he is, and definitely not a president. So, but I, I agree to go up and see him because I do think he's a great actor. And I go up to his place in Santa Barbara. And guys, so imagine now we're, it's Saturday, it's 10 in the morning. <laughs> he answers the door and he's wearing his big Lebowski outfit. Now, <laughs> now by that, I, I, I don't mean a big Lebowski style outfit. I mean, he's wearing his costume from the big Lebowski. Oh and he, yeah, and he says, and and he says to me, he says to me, I know what you're thinking. Understand this: Lebowski wore my clothes, and not the other way around. Nice. Now, do you do you, uh, do you guys know the movie The Big Lebowski? Oh yeah, you know it yeah. pretty well. Okay, so oh, yeah. yeah, okay, okay. I'm going to quiz you now. So he says okay. to me, "What do you want to drink?" So as a joke, taking Lebowski into account, what did I say? A white white Russian. Russian. Yes. I say, how about yeah. a white Russian? Now, guys, I don't drink. I'm a teetotaler. I've, mm. I've literally never had a drink in my life of any kind, yeah. other than yeah. when I had my bris and the rabbi gave me some wine. Mm. 
So, <laughs> I, so, but before I can tell Jeff I'm joking, he's out the door and he comes Ooh. back with six white Russians and two croissants. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff, Jeff, Jeff proceeds to drink all six white Russians, and nice. he's completely hammered by the end of the two hours. What he loved the screenplay. What was most important to him was that Joan Allen was in the film. <laughs> and that, to Jeff's credit, he said, the makers of this film are going to try to pressure you <laughs> to put me or whoever plays Runyon, because Gary wasn't in the film yet, at the center of the movie. And you have to promise me you're going to resist that. Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, I promise you, Jeff. She's the lead, unquestionable <laughs> lead. So now... Jeff walks me to my car and he's sort of stumbling and he puts his arms around me and he says, the dude as president, who would have ever dreamed? Precisely. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, we went to a few other people, you know, we had spoken. Um, I, I had uh, the role of Gary Oldman had played before I even thought about Gary. I thought about James Woods, but he, um, but he, uh, he was unavailable at the time. And 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 so we gave it to um, Gary Oldman's manager, a guy named Douglas Urbanski, a very talented producer. Uh, he was actually more his producing partner than manager, but a little bit of both. Yeah. And he said, I will read it on the plane because he's going to London to see Gary. Mm. And I will let you, notify you in two or three weeks if Gary's interested. So... Three hours into his flight, he calls me, and I can hear the roar of the engine. He's on the plane, and he says, <laughs> "I love." He says, "I love this screenplay. It's great. I'm going to recommend that Gary does this." Okay. Wow. Swear to swear to you now. Wow. Three hour. Another three hours later, he calls me again. He says, "Gary is in," and I said, "But Gary hasn't read the screenplay," and he <laughs> says to me, "Listen to this." He says to me. I read it to Gary over the phone. He's on a plane wow. flying to see Gary. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So that's amazing. So, yeah. And so now with Gary and Joan and Jeff, yeah, we got the movie Greenlit. And Kristen Slater was in the film and Sam Elliott. And th- those were cherries, you know. Many. Now we yeah. started getting actors based on these actors. Right. I don't, right. I'd, only, I'd only done one film, a really, really small $800,000 film called Deterrence. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But, but, um, and so they just had faith in the screenplay. And, uh, the, and, and then that August, we're in Richmond, Virginia, filming the movie. So, wow. yeah, so I, I remember, yeah, I finished, it was the end of January that I finished writing it. And, um, it was uh, oh, uh, the day after Super, uh, the Super Bowl that Joan called me, <laughs> told me that she, told me that she was in. Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool. Oh, that's did, fantastic. Did, did then any – were there any revisions then after you had – like did you go oh, back? Oh, yeah. No, of then? course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean in the original version of the screenplay, um, she's assassinated. Whoa. She's literally shot, yeah. And, um, you know, and <sighs> – I, I just decided, you know, a lot of people told me it's a bad idea. It's a bad commercial idea. Uh, and, um, and uh, you know, right now the movie is, has sort of, it's sort of upbeat and hopeful. Mm-hmm. And an assassination will be a little bit hopeless. 
Mm-hmm. And and I just liked Lane Hansen too much. I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to kill her. I wanted to give her 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 moment of triumph. Really? And um. And there was a an hour of the movie that was taken out of the movie. There's an hour there. A lot of it you can see on the deleted scenes. But yeah, uh, yeah. you know, there are entire storylines that were taken out of this uh, sure. out of this movie. It was a big script, and we. We didn't have a lot of time to shoot it. We had like yeah. thirty-five days, um, mm. but it, but it was pretty cool. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I was, <laughs> I had no idea what I what I was doing. Um, speaking of some of the fantastic cast and revision, um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious about Jeff Bridges and that president character because mm-hmm. it is so unique as a presidential presence and and right. thinking. 20 years prior when we haven't had some of the more recent comical episodes of, of presidencies, how, mm-hmm. how much of kind of Jeff is that quirk and how much of that quirk was on the page? Well, um, he was word perfect on the screenplay, meaning that he, he, he did no improvising uh, really at all. Most of his improvising came from little bits that he did, like sniffing the sniffing the, the, a bowling, bowling shoe. shoe. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. He, and he asked me permission to do that. I said, I think, it, I think it's a wonderful idea. I love that detail. Yeah. He has a big scream in the Oval Office um, mm-hmm. that um, was his idea. Not in the screenplay. He asked me to. Um, he asked me if he could do that, and but uh, but he was he was rather uh, word perfect. But the way that he carried himself um, at first, he was going to model himself after LBJ, uh, and he even had a Southern accent when he first showed up on set, a Texas accent, which he had sort of perfected for the Last Picture Show in Texasville, sure. but. Um, but, but ultimately, we thought it would be uh, uh, a little bit forced. And so he said, I'm going to model after my dad, Lloyd, the person I respect the most. And so that's what he that's what he modeled it after. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 it, and it's interesting because the character is funny. You know, he has this addiction to food and ordering stuff up <laughs> that that's funny. But yeah. but he doesn't realize it's funny. You know, everyone yeah. around him realizes it's it's funny, but right, he does. Right. By, by the way, to me as a filmmaker, um, that is the difference between comedy and humor, right? In a comedy, nobody is aware that w- mm. what's going on around them is funny. And right. humor is when at least somebody understands this is kind of funny. And, you know, right. and I think people right. on people in the world of President Jackson Evans uh, realize that he's kind of a funny guy. You know, he's doing funny stuff. You know, it's the the. Um, I'm remembering too. I was such an evangelist for this movie that not only did I take Iceland to it, I took our dad to it. We both did. Um, oh yeah, knowing that he would eat up that Jeff Bridges character. I mean, it's you know, it's it's um, uh, and 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 it's true. True, he did. And when you mentioned Lloyd Bridges, I mean, even the hair. There's there's Lloyd yes. Bridges in the hairdo too. I mean, I can see that now. Um, for well, sure. I, I'll tell you something, guys. Um, Jeff is in life not very presidential. And, um, so he was, first of all, he, he's obsessed with music. Almost every time we went to dinner, he would take out, you know, and his, uh, I guess, uh, what, what was it back then? Uh, what do you call it? The little things that he listened to iPad, not the uh, 
iPod, oh. Discman? An iPod, an iPod, right. And, iPod. and we would listen to his music. And eventually, you know, he sings the opening song, Ring of Fire, in the film. But um, I remember, you know, that he gives a big speech in the film, a big-ass speech. And we got 300 extras ready. And I got that chamber for one day. <laughs> we can't go beyond that day. This is the biggest nightmare of filmmakers. One of the biggest nightmares is, you know, you have a limited location. you got to finish Right. And Jeff is not coming out of his trailer. We sent the, you know, a PA to get him. And then we sent the first assistant director and then a producer. Eventually I had to go and get him. And so I knock on his door. Who is it? And I said, it's Rod. He goes, Hey, my man. And he opened the door and this cloud of marijuana smoke comes out. Right. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like, He's in, he, he has enjoyed himself, right? He, he is, right. Right. And so, Jeff, we got to go. Oh, yeah, man. And I'm thinking, I mean, he's walk. He is. Now he is Spicoli. Right. 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 And I'm thinking we could not be more fucked right now. We're, right. We're screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I show up in the Capitol with him and there were 300 extras waiting. And he waves to everybody and they cheer. It's Jeff Bridges, you know, big movie star. And he goes, hey, man, so what are we doing today? And I go, Jeff, we're doing a four-page a four-page speech. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Okay, got it. The big speech at the end, right? And I go, yes. <laughs> and I'm going, You're sweating oh, my, now. oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally going to have to have cue cards, right? And he goes, okay, let me give it a crack. Maybe I should wear a jacket. I said, yeah, you should wear a jacket. You're president in the Congress. So he goes up and he sort of goes up and he's sort of looking around and smirking. And then I yell, and action. And guys, bam. He becomes Jackson Evan. And he fucking, he didn't have that. Now, um, I now remember that I actually put the speech on um, a teleprompter. A teleprompter? Yeah. yeah, I put it on because I thought that's how the president would read it. Right. And so right. he should do the same thing. But yeah. he was beyond spot on. And, wow. you know, and at the end, everybody was cheering and yelling and it was like, okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, Jeff Jeff got nominated for the Oscar for that movie, and he, and he deserved it. I mean, it was yeah. you know for for scenes for scenes like that. It was pretty. Absolutely. It was pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Pretty amazing. Speaking of amazing final speeches, um, for me, Lane's um, monologue at the end of the hearings. Chapel of uh, Democracy speech. Yeah. Oh my gosh! As a young feminist as a political mm. science major who thought I was going to go to law school, but went a different way. I mean, that certainly I have like Tobin um, showed this movie to many, many people. I have a, a, a copy for me and a lending copy so that there's <laughs> one be always around. Um, and sometimes it's just that clip. Like I have used that yeah. motivationally for myself, that YouTube clip. So right. I'm interested how that speech came together for you was that always in the script well yeah it was it was definitely always in it was definitely always in the script and i got two stories to tell you about that okay Okay. the first is that you know we had a um after the film came out we had a bit of a conflict with gary oldman 
it has since been cleared up. We're very good friends. We talk, either we write frequently and, and so on. But but Gary is and his his partner are conservatives. In fact, his partner, Doug Urbanski, fills in for Rush Limbaugh when Rush is not around or he used to. Wow. He's that can he's that conservative. And I didn't realize it. And and Gary and Doug thought that his character, Shelley Runyon, were the heroes of the film and that Joan was the villain. You know, wow. and yeah. Now, at first, I when I heard that, I thought, okay, that that's an acting trick. You know, he's trying to right. empathize <laughs> with a trying to empathize with a character, right? Um, and, and and by the way, Gary is one of the greatest actors who has ever lived, and and, and does find a way to find the humanity of every character that he plays. Otherwise, you know, everything would just be a, a cliche, but. What Doug told me after he heard that speech is, you know, it's very clear just from listening to her that she's crazy. I mean, she does say, which is a little bit extreme, I want to take every gun out of every home. Right. right? Okay. Right. That's a bit much. But so, you know, and I may not have done that today. I would say get rid of a, every AR-15. Or, Sorry. But, right. Right. but Doug said she's crazy. And we got and and obviously Shelley has got to save the world from this crazy lunatic, huh. you know, and that he's huh. the one that who sees the light. He's the hero of the film, right? So that yeah, I'll never forget when we did a test screening of the movie, and and Doug called the next day and said, "I've got shocking news. The audience thinks that Gary's the villain. We got a real problem." <laughs> Oh, he's the villain. And he goes, yeah. Okay, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you um, uh, a more interesting story about that scene, which is, and we can get into how this happened uh, a little bit later. But Steven, Sp it, this was an independent film that Steven Spielberg bought for hmm. DreamWorks himself. <laughs> and I'm in an he. I'll never forget when he bought the film. Um, I, I get on the phone, I'm talking to fucking Steven Spielberg and I'm bullshitting around with him. And, and at the end, he says to me, um, look, if you don't mind, can we go to the editing room? I just want to show you a couple of things. And I said, Steven, don't push it now, okay? You have the film, don't push it. <laughs> so anyway, we go, we go into the editing room and we come to that scene. And it was a dry scene. There was no music. And he says, look, Joan Allen is amazing in the scene. I go, yeah, she is. He goes, why is there no music? And I said, well, Stephen, my opinion is if there was music, I would be signaling to the audience that I, as the director and writer, endorse what she's saying. And he said, well, do you endorse what she's saying? And I said, yes. And he goes, you're not making a documentary. You're the writer, director. You're allowed to endorse what's going on in the film. And so we put music, and I don't know if it was the right decision. Sometimes I think it's the wrong decision. But, you know, there, the music is in that scene because Steven Spielberg suggested it. And my gut instinct just said, you know, whatever Steven wants. Sure. <laughs> you know? there, there, was, there was a scene at the end of the film when they're at a ball together. Um, when there's a ball. And we actually had... Jeff and Joan dancing together. Mm. Huh. Huh. Right? And huh. he reaches in to whisper something in her ear. It's not sexual. 
but um, um, it could be seen that way in just their body language. And so as we were taking the film around town, everyone says, you got to take that scene out. Huh. And I said, no way I'm sticking by it. Yeah. New Line says, you got to take that scene out. Harvey Weinstein says, you got to take that scene out. And I, every time I say, no way, no way, no way. And Stephen says to me, you got to take that scene out. And I said, okay. <laughs> I, he's, the greatest film, he's the greatest filmmaker alive. Well, right, right. Well, you know, trust well, the man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. Two things. One, that reminds me when we did our episode. So the very first episode of our podcast was about this movie. We This was the movie we covered. And one of the things that we talked really? about was wow. – yeah. One of the things that we talked about was that scene, that speech, um, our, our um, sense was you could not, one could not uh, uh, be confirmed from that speech, right? That, that would yes. be disqualifying yes. in today's, you know, um, I guess yeah. that's, this is the House, but still, you know, uh, Senate or House, that that would be yeah. disqualifying. So it's interesting to hear you say that, there, that it might, you know, done today, there would be a different sort of... Well, yeah. there's that, and but the endorsement of atheism um, right. is probably is probably uh, the biggest killer. But it may not be. You know, it's it it shouldn't be freedom. Uh, you know, sure. we, we, we just yeah. we, look. We just confirmed a Supreme Court justice with a very odd religion, or the sect of her religion is. Yep. Very odd, and um, and it's it's not an issue. Wasn't an issue. It shouldn't be an issue. But nor should the absence of religion in your life right. uh, be an issue, in right. my opinion. And right. so, uh, a lot of people at the time, a lot of critics said that this was the most fantastical thing about the film was her atheism. But remember that being she's open. she's being confirmed. She's not being elected. It's a different right. thing. It's right. a completely a completely different thing. Right, right. The other thing that um, really struck us watching it again, and and then again this week, rewatching it to talk to you, are, is the the way that uh, in the script there's so many people, so many people comment about her appearance, but not just people. You know, a lot yes. of support. I mean, yes. you know, Kermit talks about it. I mean, everybody has has something to say. You know, Jackson says, yeah. you know, you look great. You look great. Yeah, you, how, that's right. That's how, right. How conscious were you in the in the you know where that is was that always there is that a thing you were conscious of in the in the process extremely of I was extremely conscious of it and every word in that movie is, is intentional so so Kermit says you look great you look just great and is that what you're going to wear um, Tolliver said you know et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, says to her and there, there there was a bit that I took out and she's about to go on. The, I think it was either the Larry King show. No, it was um, the uh, it was the other show where she's confronted by the guy who accuses her of being oh, in right, this orgy, right? right where right. Um, where uh, Tolliver, played by Saul Rubinek, explains to her. He said, "Here's the thing: Golda Meir and Dira Gandhi, you know, Margaret Thatcher, great big powerful leaders, all women. Nobody wanted to fuck them." Mm-hmm. Right. He says, yeah, you know, you have to be completely desexualized for people to take you seriously. You know, uh-huh. we don't say that are the men. No. I mean, uh, right. Clinton and Kennedy right. were very sexual beings, but right. that was not held against them. 
But, you know, you know, back then, you don't want a hottie as your as your sure. you don't want to fantasize about your vice president or your president. Okay. And that's what he tells her. Right. Which is when she wants to start applying makeup on to pretty herself up, mm. he stops her in her in, in her tracks. Uh, and it was a very uh, I, I don't remember why we why I took that out now that I think back on it, it seems like a pretty good thing to put in but but but, but it was but it was in at some at some point yeah yeah he's such an interesting character always the the looking at um how things are going to look right it's all about the presentation it's all about the how yes. you know which is which is which is if not more important you know as important if not more important now i mean mm-hmm. uh, um and, and in the movie, you have all these um, you know, the movie seems very conscious of uh, how these characters are presenting themselves. The, the number of times that we move to see them, be, you know, through a monitor or on TV or, you know, uh, what's what I find really interesting about it is that very often you, you move to the TV or you cut to her on Larry King and then you use that to shift to another scene. So we in the movie right. are always behind the scenes. We're always seeing the conversations happening off screen when well when the movie yeah. shifts to the thing the public would see and i'm wondering if that came through the editing process or if that's something that sort of was in from the conception from the no, beginning. That, that was that, that was that was very intentionally creative that that's not something you could possibly do in an editing process you know we had that the one scene where they're talking about uh, abortion rights um it's entire every single shot of them is on a tv screen as they're mm-hmm. either from a camera or on a um, on a monitor somewhere, and uh, by the way, I got that from my mentor, uh, John Frankenheimer. He did that in the in the Manchurian Candidate, so that Absolutely. was very cool. Yeah. But but Tobin, that's very astute of you. Are you are you in the film business itself? What do you mm-hmm. do? Yeah, yes, he I'm is. Sorry, uh, sorry for, what? No, 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 no. I I, I am um, uh, primarily a screenwriter. You sound like one. Is uh, is the Montana screenwriting film business booming right now? Well, you know what? The, we, uh, the, 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 we've just passed a tax incentive for the first time in my lifetime here. So we've got the Netflix is shooting a show here and Yellowstone now shoots here. And so there's there's more and more here. Wait a second. Are you, are you, is, is that right? Because I need to find a wintry location. Is there ever snow on the ground over there? Yeah, there's, there's six snow right now. Right now. <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah, come come check it out. Yeah. All right. Uh, so there's, there's more, more and more of it here. Most of my work, though, is remote. So, um, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, your, your questions from both of you sound like uh, from writers. So it's uh, mm-hmm. a pleasure to hear. I usually don't get these questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tobin is a fantastic, fantastic writer. Oh, shucks. The unbiased sister. Yeah, exactly. Hey, <laughs> as a sociologist, I can say we're all biased. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's yeah, true. The yeah. idea of humans being unbiased is a little, a little silly. Excellent. <laughs> so I have another question about uh, Lane uh, and about her introduction, um, mm-hmm. and a thing that feels you know you know you're sort of imbuing her with you know with her sexuality and humanity by the way that you introduce her, you know, where, where she's, she's fooling around with her husband off camera as the phone right. call comes in. It's a wonderful kind of fun comic. Uh, and, and it's, it's so leavens the, or sort of rounds her out as the film goes forward as, he, as she has to sort of confront what ends up being these, you know, these un, untrue allegations, mm-hmm. but the allegations that she will not dignify. Um, right. And and I'm wondering if that was, I, right. mean, I guess the, the same, the same kind of question, but is that, um, that I was, was, by design from the beginning as well. 
Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, it was intended as a mislead, right? Where yeah. he keeps talking about Sen- Senator Hansen, and so it was a mislead and kind of cool when when she yeah. when she picks up the phone and uh, and answers it, and you know, uh, there is, um, I I, I can't. I, I guess what I was continuously searching for is uh, scenes that would subliminally show you that there is a double standard for how we see men and women through a sexual a sexual prism. Sure. You know, you know, there, we are so shocked that a woman can enjoy her sexuality, right? Um, and it come and it comes without without consequence uh, theoretically, but it does come with a consequence here for her. Um, you know. In, in, in her past, you know, there there is a scene that I cut out of the film and I've never discussed this before. But as as a tribute to your having made this amazing in the series to me, I'm going to tell you something, guys. Wow. This has never been revealed and it was not, it was not on the DVD extras. There was a scene that we took out that was we had a lot of people wanting to play her husband in the film. Oh. Uh, some really good names. Ultimately, we couldn't afford these people, and we went with Robin Thomas, a very good but unknown actor. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. reason that they were drawn to it was this one scene that we had written. Remember there's a scene, he's on the porch, and he shows her the photos. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, but before he shows her the photos, he says, there's something that I need to tell you. Yeah. And he tells her a story about when he was younger, when he was like a sophomore in college, he took advantage of a high school girl who had diminished mental capacity mm-hmm. and more or less he has sex with her, meaning by today's standards, yeah, it, it's a Me Too violation, it's a rape. Yeah. And that every day, every day he thinks about it and that especially around Christmas when he still gets a Christmas card for her because she doesn't realize what Whoa. he had done to her, right? And and Lane is like shocked and doesn't understand. And he said, "Why are you telling me this?" And he goes, "Because I can't have one up on you." Hmm. And he tells her, "We found hmm. this out about you." Hmm. Right. Well, it was unbelievably acted hmm. by Robin. Yeah. And when we tested the film, it crashed the numbers of the movie. People were never able to get back to this couple ever again. And when we tested it again, it went up 20, 25 points when we we took it out. So, but I'll tell you that every actor wanted that role for that monologue. It was a long monologue. And it was like, it was a holy shit moment. And it would have made the film impossible to release by a studio. It would have to be an indie. It'd be a Sundance movie. It would have changed everything. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, that that was that was really that was really something. Wow! You know, so he was putting, you know, he says, "Okay, you have this in your sexual past, and to show you that I don't hold you in contempt, let me tell you about mine." And of course, uh, she never did that thing. Right. So, right. so right. You know, for people who have not oh. seen, I, I guess that's a spoiler alert for people who have not seen the movie. I think anyone who's uh, listen to, to our podcast and how much we talk about it. Hopefully they, um, well, they have I hope they have. Yes. I hope they have. That's I'm, um, thank you so much for sharing that. I yeah, it's yeah. definitely yeah. something I'm going to think about more. Cause that does 
change a lot of dynamics. Well, and- I mean, it, it, it would have made his character more interesting because sure. he, he's a little bit of a stoic um, character without as much depth as possible. And, you know, and Robin was very disappointed when I took it out. If it had been a bigger star, it would have mm. been more difficult to take out sure. because yeah. that guy would have lost his shit. Right. You know, right. right. What I really like about the husband character in the film that we have um, that you made is that it's not about him where so often, you know, if, if everything was reversed and it was a, I don't know, more traditional thing about a president and a vice Mm -hmm. president, we wouldn't know that much about her, the first lady. Right. Right. You know? So I, I always, I always like that level. This is undeniably um, a movie in which she is the star of the movie. Yeah. You know, even though Gary Oldman gets the top billing credit by contract, mm-hmm. but right, it, right. it was, it's a, and, you know, I think that to this day, I think Joan probably regards it as one of her best, if not her best uh, uh, role. I'm not saying it's necessarily her best performance or the best movie, but it's the best character that she had been given. Absolutely. And, oh, um, for sure. Yeah, it was. It was. She's a great actor. I mean, Tobin is a pretty big Joan Allen fan here, so uh, you're talking to the right crowd. (laughs) Well, when I when I uh, when I hired her, it was because I had her on my show to talk about Pleasantville, Hmm. on my radio show, and and I said, you know, I'm a big fan of yours, and she goes, Yeah, I know you're a big fan of mine. Everyone tells me. You talk about me all the time. And I said, you just, you should just be happy. I don't have a copy of Catcher in the Rye with me. You know, I'm like an, I'm an absolutely an obsessed fan. And uh, I, I don't remember. There were several performances up as Pat Nixon uh, mm-hmm. in the, in the ice storm. Holy yeah. shit. Oh, what a great God. performance. Oh yeah. my God. Uh, the, the crucible. The crucible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, the Manhunter and, and one of the great gems was a searching for Bobby Fisher. Absolutely. You know, and yeah. she's just so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, I've never I've never had such a crush on an actor before for their for their, for their acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know, yeah. and, you know, it uh, to a certain degree, you know, in terms of the people that I've worked with, nothing will ever compare to uh, to the mm-hmm. contender and I and I worked with my idol Robert Redford you know and um, the last and, castle. yeah yeah on the mm-hmm. last castle <laughs> you know the, one of the things that you, that you um, uh, you provide such a vehicle for her in this movie is, so, is to deliver something that she does in a lot of these roles like she, she's a, an actor of endurance they all, so many of these characters are enduring so much they're they're yes. uh, you know, and and you, but this movie in particular, because she is the lead, because it is about her, it gets to be kind of all on display. It gets to be kind of explored a little bit more. Right. Whereas in in these other movies, you're seeing a sliver of it, or a piece of it, or uh, you know, a few scenes of it. Um, I'm thinking of the scene in the Oval Office where um, President Evans has the scream, where she's telling them she's not going to dignify it, and, and and you have this like. It's this extreme close-up of her and this one little tear is coming down her chin. I mean, it's, I get chills just thinking about this, where she's telling yeah. them in this, like, you know, the, this climactic moment. It's a very quiet, very, very, you know, um, closely held. But you see all everything kind of playing within her um, in a way that's I, like. Yes. Um, I told her before we shot that scene a story about my talking with my uh, then five-year-old son. Who had, who had this, or six year old, 
No. Yeah, he was six at the time where he had decided he was going to stop reading. And I told Hunter, you know, if you stop reading, you are going to become a nothing in life. And Hunter looked at me and I, I told Joan and he was trying to hold it back, but he couldn't. And one tear of humiliation came out of his right eye. And, and I said, and I felt so badly that I had humiliated him that that night when he was asleep, I woke him up just so I could apologize to him. Right. So, so Joan takes it in and the day we're going to shoot that scene, I see her in a corner somewhere. And I said, Joan, she held up her hand and said, you know, give me a minute. Mm -hmm. And we shot that scene, I think five times and she nailed it every time, but without any tears. And then she said to me, when I said we're done, she says, I need one more. I'm ready for one more. <sighs> and, and I will tell you something, guys. And Tobin, I'm, I, I would say that uh, it won't be for me to give any directorial advice. But <laughs> when a great actor tells you they need one more, <laughs> yeah. give it to them. Give it to them. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Find a way. Find a way. <laughs> Wow. And so she did a scene and she gave me one tear from the right eye. Mm. And she Amazing. said, I needed, I, I, I could only do it once. Mm. And that was just, it's just a bravura moment. All of them. And Sam Elliott was amazing in that scene. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. When I, when I hired Sam, when I met Sam to do this role, he had hair down to his ass. And a, and a mustache that looked like Yosemite Sam. And, and I said to him, you know, I need you to get an H.R. Haldeman haircut if you want this role. And, he totally. goes, and uh, that means I, you need to get a crew cut. Yeah. And he looked at me and he goes, no problem, mijo. And next thing I know, he did it. Amazing. You've told fantastic stories about writing as well as directing mm -hmm. part so as the one of our conversation here who is neither um if you could only do one on a project what where oh, it, kind of, it would, it would be go? oh god you know <laughs> I, I i i'm not happy when i'm writing i'm happy when i'm done writing sure and as, i'm happy when i'm direct and i'm happy when i'm directing and not happy when I'm done directing. Huh. Huh. You know, you know, yeah. it's like I feel huh. so alive on a set. And, you know, mm -hmm. I never want to go back and write more. But I always want to go back and, and redirect, <laughs> you know, um, and, and direct, a, direct a scene again. Always, every, every single time. Unless it's something that's like really exhausting. Like I have a movie out right now called The Outpost. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Um, oh, yes. it's, um, it's a very, very, it's a really big success and a critical success and probably my biggest one since contender or maybe bigger and, um, a big money success. But that movie was a bear to make. And I got to say that <laughs> I mean, those days, like yeah. Oh, yeah. Tobin, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Have you seen the film? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, you did. Okay. So, you know, it's a difficult yeah. film to make. Very low budget film. And uh, yeah, and it was, it was, it's on available on Netflix right now for anyone who wants to see it. But it's, uh, it couldn't be, there's not a woman in it except for the last two minutes. You know, so, <laughs> yes, although it, I was telling, 
I was telling Aislinn, though, that's it's that's true because of the nature of the story, because of the kind of story that, that you're telling. However, the women that are referenced in the movie, that are talked about in the movie, are are it's they're they're they they're not um, looked down upon. They're not one off things. They're not purely in relation to like there's there's something in 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 the DNA of that movie that is not like a lot of soldiery movies where that's they sort right. of feels like just a kind of a prop in the background for sympathy in some way. Yeah. It feels much more integrated into their lives, their, well, their that, relationships with the world. Yes, that, 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 is, that is particularly true. And look, when, and my wife, Kira, she's a novelist, smartest woman I know, and most beautiful. And she pointed, <laughs> she was looking at the, um, the trailer for Lone Survivor, mm-hmm. another female free movie. But in the trailer... There are lots of shots of the men's cubicles where they have photos of their wives and girlfriends. And so let's talk for a second about what it is that women actually want from movies, right? I'm not a woman, but I have to be able to analyze that in order to make successful films. So there is a cliche that it's going to be, you know, Nora Ephron films, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. The Nancy Myers movies, you know, right. and those are female friendly. I, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I suppose, but, but really Tobin, you know, these women in our lives are so much more sophisticated than us um, <laughs> in, in that they really want fully fleshed out characters. Mm-hmm. They want to, we don't care. Men don't care so much about relating. We care much more about explosions and about killing. <laughs> and, you know, it's like it or, or about tectonics. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if you look like at a man's journal versus a woman's journal, a woman will often use her journal to work out her thoughts and and tell what she's feeling in order to maybe uh, come to terms with them. And in mm-hmm. our journals, the male journals, it's more what we did during the day. You know, and it's about our accomplishments. And, you know, when you you go into a bachelor, when you go into a woman's apartment, she's decorated it. When you go into a man's, there are decorations. When you go to a man's apartment, there are displays, you know, photos (laughs) of him, photos of Schwarzenegger, stuff like that. And that applies applies to movies as well. So when you get a movie with um, where the characters are really fully fleshed out, okay, um, and they're real human beings, and you can relate to their, you know, then the empathy button in, in, in the woman is, is triggered. That's why you get a movie uh, like Dog Day Afternoon, or One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, right? Masterpieces that, yeah. uh, that women really gravitated to. Why? It's because, you know, they're not monolithic. They don't monolithically, you know, liking movies where... Uh, the characters have got great kitchens like they do in you know right. Nancy Myers films, right? Um, right? Right. Although she makes really good movies, but Ka- so does Kathy sure. Bigelow. So does so does Kathy Bigelow in a, um, a completely yeah. male, completely male, but character-driven film. So right. um, in the in the outpost, we really went out of our way to to fully flesh them, and part of being fully flesh is that you have relationships with people back home. And with your right. with your wives, they want to get to their wives, to their girlfriends, to their mothers, to their dogs. You know, they you know, there's there's something their characters beyond just being soldiers in the middle of this place. And that is, yeah. you know, and that I boy, I'll tell you, I have just 
from making this film for my daughter, The Contender, I then yeah. went into The Last Castle was pretty female free, but um, <laughs> Nothing But the Truth, my movie with Kate Beckinsale, it's yeah. about, mm-hmm. about motherhood. And, um, and uh, Resurrecting the Champ is about father, fatherhood. Um, but with a strong female character. And then I created Commander in Chief about the first woman president played by right. played by Gina Davis, you know. And so this has and even uh, I, I made a movie called uh, Straw Dogs, which mm-hmm. was the remake of the Peck and Ball film, which yeah. couldn't the Peck and Ball film could not be more male or more right wing. And we we tried our best. I tried my best when I rewrote that. Yeah. I'd like to say that. That's a right-wing film. I wanted to do a left-wing film, but telling the same story. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. And so if you look at the difference between how Susan George plays her role of a woman who's raped mm-hmm. versus, yep. versus Kate Boss, where they approach it very right. differently. Totally. And um, so it, it just seems that um, trying to understand my daughter, yeah. um, who's become quite the feminist, she and, and and quite social justice oriented. Yeah. She went to Brandeis. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask what she. Um, yeah, she studied know, politics. She the and beginning of the story, kind of where where she. She's, um, uh, she went to Brandeis. She's um, you know she she worked on she works for like suicide hotlines. She, oh, wow. You know, I leave oh. her job as is her own private thing, but yeah, yeah. Um, sure. she lives in D.C. and she's uh, you know very much an activist and you know. Um, huh. It's going to vote for Joe, but boy, wouldn't it have been great to have Elizabeth in there? You know that, you know that sort of thing. Yep. And yep. sort of the way I feel, but uh, yep. but definitely <laughs> no harm voting. And um, yep. um, so, you know, it's women. I, women have been so put upon through in ways we don't even we don't even think about. And um, you know, my wife Kira. Um, She's a New York Times bestselling author. She's a genius. Kira Davis is her name as as an author. And between her and my daughter, you know, um, I, I, I'm trying to understand. My wife is also black, so I'm also trying to understand, you know, that world and that 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 world as well. And I'm not an angel, you know. I'm I'm imperfect. Um, when I was a, a when I was a radio talk show host, I said a lot of things that, thank God, they weren't tape recorded because I get, I get in a lot of trouble. So, uh, but I would own up to, you know, saying some some shitty things uh, for the sake of uh, for the sake of trying to get a funny line in, not realizing how how hurtful it was. So I've been on a journey since the contender, and when I say I didn't make it because I was a feminist, but it's helped me to come closer. Being one, I would say that that's accurate. That's awesome. Well, I mean, obviously, thank you for the contender and all your work, but um, thank you for being open to learning and unlearning. I think yeah. that's something that right now a lot of us are um, hopefully are thinking about and trying to figure out how to unlearn some of the things that we've um, taken for granted or, or become accustomed to. So thank you for being open to that because that's really really yeah, tough and, and i think we're, we're seeing we're, how tough it is well you know we're, we're we're certainly trying i i do think that sometimes we get a little bit caught up in you know not having a sense of humor about anything uh anymore mm-hmm. and that you know everyone everybody gets taken out to to uh 
to the woodshed and like that to stop a little bit. But, you know, <laughs> look, the, the main thing about the contender, though, you know, for those who have not seen it, is that while it certainly is a feminist film, it is not spinach. You know, it's a... Oh, no. No, I think it's, I think it's an entertaining film. And... Um, filled with really good performance. It's got, a, it's got a good sense of humor. And, um, you know, I, I, I will, I will t- I'll tell you something odd about it is that um, maybe this will be a, a, good, a good way to end. I, um, I show this at the Boston Film Festival. Uh, and, um, and when I did, a woman came to me and she said, this is the most um, woman-hating film I've ever seen. And I didn't know what she was talking about. It's literally the only time that I had ever seen it. And what she said to me was, so you set up a situation where she's accused of having this sexual orgy. Mm-hmm. And, and she refuses to talk about it, which is great. But then she didn't do it. So... In, are you, therefore, as the director, saying that there was something wrong with having done that because right. she didn't huh. do it, right? And so, huh. yeah, well, you know, th- that was a point of view. And actually, I realized then that a couple of the more feminist um, um, film critics like uh, Lisa Schwartzbaum and Entertainment Weekly said the ending mm-hmm. wanted to make me spit, right, meaning mm-hmm. that, that revelation. But, you know, I, it's something that, I, that I wouldn't change because if she had not done that, right, it, it, I mean, if she had um, been involved in that orgy, then it makes it questionable why she's refusing to answer, right? right. Because right. then maybe it right. is just out of embarrassment or she's trying right. to hide it. This right. way, she's taking the hit for, for being, quote, unquote, guilty of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but is standing up for a principle because the movie itself is not about it, it. It deals with the double standard, but it's not what the movie's about. What the movie is about, and ultimately, it's what almost all my movies are about, is the line that she speaks, which is, and the most important line in the film: "Principles only matter if you stick by them when they're inconvenient." Mm-hmm. That's the theme of the movie. Right. Period. Right. You know, right. I mean, some of us have been right. destroyed. By our, some people have been destroyed by their principles. Right. Yeah, I you, may right. or may right. not have had that quote printed above my computer in grad school for a while. Oh, yay. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I think, but. Oh, sorry. Man, I, I hope I, we're not um, over. Oh, my God. If, over I, if, I, uh, if I wasn't married, I'd just come over and give you a big kiss. <laughs> you know? Maybe, and maybe even propose. I mean, that's really. What <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I think I think too that the the if you're thinking about um, the world of the film, her not her declining to dignify the thing with a response paves the way for the women coming next, or the people with disabilities right. coming next, or whoever right. comes next to not have to dignify. You know, it, it, it's 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 I, yeah, I, I, I guess I can, yeah 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 right. It's all about setting that precedent for whoever comes down the line, right? right. Which is. That's the first thing, you know, in that moment for her. Dustin, you got it exactly. Wow. You have it exactly right. Now, let me ask you guys a question. I, how many men have come on your podcast? Quite a few. Ah, you're, you're, really? I was, really quite yeah. a few? Well, it's not mostly well, women, so mostly. Our, 
the guests that we bring on, you know, we try and have as much as much sort of balance in all kinds of ways as, as we can with right, the but, guests. Uh, but, but you've had on female directors, I assume. You're our first celebrity. You're, 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 no you're, way! I'm not a celebrity. Yeah. You still yeah. haven't had a celebrity. <laughs> no, we got we got to we got to fix this for you guys. We got to fix this for you guys. <laughs> Well, this has been uh, just so much fun having you been on this show. I'm really delighted. Oh, Rod, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is the point of the podcast where we where we ask you if you have uh, if you'd like to be found online, uh, where where people where people could find you. So, uh, what's your social okay. media presence? These days? Well, okay. First of all, my cell phone number is <laughs> eight one eight. You can find me on Twitter at just at Rod Lurie, R O D L U R I E. Um, and I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook there uh, as well. So, um, and I um, be happy to have you follow me. And do a, but you have to deal with all my political bullshit because I get really, <laughs> I really get into the weeds of this. I'm I am fired up, you know. And even <laughs> after the election, I'll be fired up because yeah. God knows what's gonna, you know. By the time <laughs> this people are listening to the podcast, the election is already over and, you know, you guys know more than I do at this moment, but um, anyway, yeah, Rod, just R-O-D-L-U-R-I-E at, uh, at Twitter and also at, um, at Facebook and uh, we'll be very uh, happy to have you follow. Awesome. <laughs> Aizen, where can people find you? Are you are you looking to be found these days? Oh my goodness, I am reluctantly on Twitter at sassy nerd mt, um, struggling through the end of 2020 as we all are. Uh, however, if you're looking for conversations about uh, what we might do to make the world a better place, you could also check out my short series podcast, Why Aren't We All, which you can find um, with all the great Cage Club podcasts. Tobin. What are you doing online these days? I, I uh, like Rod, am, am all fired up uh, about the election these to days. Be clear, uh, I'm fired up too, y'all. No, I, know, I know, I know, but but you you you're actually getting good work done. I'm just venting on <laughs> on uh, on Twitter. Um, so you can find me there on Twitter at Tobin Addington, all one word, and you can find us on Twitter at Contenders underscore Pod or on Patreon at thecontenderspod.com. Thanks to our members who've joined at the marquee level or above, Sean Flynn and Jeff Addington. Become a member today, connect with other listeners, and support our show. We here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can explore all their great shows at cageclub.me, and you can keep tabs on all the Cage Club happenings on Twitter at cageclubpod. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Aislinn Addington. I'm Tobin Addington, and on behalf of our very special guest, Rod Lurie, we'll see you next time on The Contenders. The Contenders.